You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Vinson. Lord, we do thank you for the opportunity to to read and study your word this morning. We thank you for the ability to read it and understand it in a language that, that is ours. And so, Father, I pray that you will use your words that were written so many years ago in a way that resonates with us today. Father, I pray that we would leave changed, that we would leave with a mindset and a desire and a passion to to impact our community, to impact this world based on what we study and learn today. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So I had planned uh, for us to be in Genesis chapter 3 this morning and, and talk about the promise of the first coming that's contained there, the first mention of the gospel when, when, when God the Father proclaims that Jesus would come in the future. We, we didn't have time to fit in my discussion last week um, with marriage and, and parenting. Um, and so I think it's by, by God's divine appointment that, that that is the case, that we didn't get to fit it in last week because I believe we have more time to look at it today. And I think it's going to reveal itself to be uh, an important discussion that we have this morning um, as we move forward as a church family. So kind of get us started this morning. I want us to understand that there's three different there's three different groups of people here. We're going to call this our circle of impact. All right, so we talk a lot about impacting the world for Christ and impacting his kingdom. And, and we've tried to define that a little bit more specific for Sovereign Hope Church. Rather than just talking vaguely about how we want to impact this world for Christ... We've tried to define that a little bit for us as a church family, that we want to grow to a certain size so that we can send people out, so that we can start other churches, so that ultimately we can send people overseas to start a a gospel work in an area where Christ is not yet known. So those are kind of the specific ways that we want to intentionally impact this world. Now, what we're going to see today in Paul's discussion in 1 Corinthians 7 is that In making that type of impact, we've got people that are single, people that are not yet married but will be, and then people that are married. Now this flows out of our discussion in Genesis 2 because you'll remember in chapter 2 as, as 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 that section is wrapping up, God identifies the fact that Adam is alone and that it's not good. And God says it's not good for man to be alone. And so God says, I'm going to, I'm going to work to fix that. I'm going to identify that need to Adam. I'm going to create that need in Adam so that he sees me provide for that need. And then the remaining portion of chapter 2 is how God uh, uh, fixes that need in Adam's life. And he creates Eve and unites them together. They're one flesh. They're man and woman. They're, they're husband and wife. But I told you that that passage has much to say for those that aren't united in marriage and for those that will never be united in marriage, those that are called to singleness. That that passage has still uh, such relevance because what's communicated there is that is that individual man is created to be in fellowship, that part of our imaging God is being in fellowship with other human beings. The Trinity fellowships together. The Trinity loves and serves within that within that union and mankind has a responsibility to function that way as well. And it doesn't start when you get married. Okay, so, so mankind has a need for relationship. And we find that as Christians, 
we should find that as Christians best within the church setting. That we unite with a local church and we find that type of community, we, type, we find that type of fellowship, that type of encouragement, accountability, that we're able to follow Christ effectively and faithfully because of the relationships within our local church. And then for some within that, it goes even deeper and even further in a human relationship through marriage. Okay, But what we're going to see here in, in 1 Corinthians 7 is that Paul defines three different types of people and the level of impact that they're able to make based on those relationships. And honestly, as you read through 1 Corinthians 7, what you find is that the singles have the most potential to make the biggest impact for Christ's kingdom. And then with the not yet marrieds, you continue to see that they have a great potential to make an impact for the kingdom of Christ. And the marrieds, technically, within Paul's discussion here, have the least potential to make the greatest impact within the kingdom. And that's important for us as we look through this and see what Paul has to say about this subject at hand. Marriage and, and, and singleness and giftings. And I told you I'd... I wanted to make this more of a, a Christmas-type sermon with Genesis chapter 3, but, you know, we're giving gifts out, and so we can talk in context of, of the gifts of singleness, the gifts of marriage. So if you're one that really wanted to hear a Christmas sermon this morning, then just think about these, gift, these gifts that are wrapped up for people within our church, singleness and, and marriage. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 7. 1 Corinthians 7 says, Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman, but because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. God describes, or Paul describes that, that, that natural desire that's there between, between man and woman and how to fulfill that desire in a proper way. Verse 6, now as a concession, not as a command, I say this, I wish that all were as I myself am. But each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. So, so Paul's talking about marriage. He's talking about these natural desires and how to fulfill these natural desires. And then he comes back to it and says, I'm not commanding this by any means, but I wish others, I wish there were more people like me implying that, that he doesn't fit into this category of marriage, that, that he's single. Now, some people would say that Paul has always been single. Others would say that based on his position in the Sanhedrin, that he had to have been married at some point, and perhaps his wife has died at this point, and he's opted not to remarry. But Paul makes the statement, he says, I wish there were more people like me that were not pursuing marriage or were not involved in marital relationships. He says in verse 8, to the unmarried and the widows, I say, it's good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Verse 10, to the married I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. Now, now what he means by that, he's not stepping away from his inspiration pen and saying, okay, now I'm just going to write some of my own opinions over here. What he's saying is, is that the Lord Jesus did not speak specifically to this issue in what we have written down about him. So I'm not quoting Jesus, I'm not reinterpreting Jesus here, I'm just speaking still under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but this is not coming from direct teaching from Christ. He says, not I, but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband, but if she does, she should remain unmarried, 
or else be reconciled to her husband, and the husband should not divorce his wife. To the rest I say, I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. It goes on to describe the, the potential of one coming to Christ because of their, uh, the salvation of their spouse. Verse 17, only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. Skipping down again to verse 25. Now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. So Paul kind of calls everybody back to this mindset of temporariness. That in context of singleness and marriage, these, these states are temporary. That the world is temporary. The relationships we enjoy here are temporary. So he draws their attention back to the future, to eternity, and wants to keep proper perspective here. Verse 32, I want to keep you, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. And his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. So, Paul's not advocating that one is right and one is wrong, but he is coming from the perspective that I don't really have to build up marriage to you because that's more of the norm. So he comes from a different angle and says, don't diminish the value of singleness and don't diminish the value of people that are single that are within your church community. He says, if it was up to me, I would encourage them to stay single, to remain single, to not pursue marriage. He says, but if they do, it's, it's fine. It's not a sin. It's good. Like marriage is good. It's given to us by God. So he's not advocating one over the other as far as right or wrong. But he is revealing some of the benefits because we already understand the benefits of, of marriage. We don't have to list those off. But he does feel the need to list off the, the value and benefits of singleness. He says, I want you to turn your attention to this. He says, if anyone thinks that he's not behaving properly toward his betrothed, if his passions are strong and it has to be, let him do as he wishes. Let them marry. It is no sin. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control and has determined this in his heart to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So then he who marries his betrothed does well. And he who refrains from marriage will do even better. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. 
Yet in my judgment, she is happier if she remains as she is. And I think that I, too, have the Spirit of God. This is why it's important and why what Paul has to say about these issues is important is because we have, I, I, I believe, and I hope that we have all three of these represented in our church. I know we have marrieds. I hope and believe that we have singles that will be married because I believe that they have the desire to be married. But I hope and pray that God sends people to our church that are single and desire to remain single. Because I believe all three are needed for maximum impact within the church. Now here's the danger and here's why this is so important. Because if we're not careful, those that are single get despised in the church. Now, some of you married young and you, and you didn't go through this season of your life. Some of you are in this season of life where you get looked at funny because you're not married yet, right? Like, I, I went through that. I went through that season in life. I went through a season in life where I honestly couldn't find a job because I was single, because I, was, I, I felt called to ministry, and I was aware enough that, okay, I'm single, so that probably limits my hireability in the eyes of some. And so I even kind of stepped aside. I felt really strong about being a youth pastor, but recognized single youth pastors aren't, aren't uh, in demand. They're not, that's not the, the first on the list of, of callbacks. And so I even went the route and I said, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to be a, just a Christian school Bible teacher, you know, and, and maybe I'll find a single elementary teacher and maybe we'll get married and then I can be a youth pastor. And so that was kind of the direction that I wanted to go. And for those of you that know John Wallace, John Wallace and I, we toured the state of Georgia. We took two or three days. We took off from work. I was working at the bowling alley at the time. He flew down from Virginia. And we decided we're going to go tour Georgia and, and interview at every single school that will have us. And so, boom, 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 we set up all these interviews, and we timed it perfectly where we were showing up school after school interviewing. And, and, and I couldn't get a job. And I had principals point blank tell me, your resume is great, your qualifications are great. If you were married, we'd hire you. And it was so discouraging because I kept coming back. I'm thinking, well, Paul's not married, and, and you would have hired Paul if he was here at this interview. And so I just felt really discouraged and despised. I even um, had left the church in Virginia. Um, one of my good friends became the pastor up there, and they were looking for a youth pastor and called me because we had kind of had this agreement that if, that if I ever become the pastor, I'll call you back, and, and you'll be the youth pastor. And, and he called, and he said, I, I just can't do it. You're not, you're not married, and I, and I can't in good faith, bring you back because you're single. And if we're not careful, we will, we will feed that mentality here, and I think it's completely unbiblical and it's completely inappropriate for anyone to feel despised or rejected or not good enough or not capable enough to impact the kingdom because of their singleness. Because Paul would say the exact opposite. He would say, you should be blessed, you should see yourself as blessed to have singles within your church because they have the greatest potential to impact the kingdom. And we'll see why here in a little bit. The other category is the not yet married. And here's the danger that if we're not aware of this and we're not responding to the word appropriately, the not yet marrieds if we're not careful, potentially leave our church. You know, they're here for a few years, they, they put themselves out there, they really try to, to serve faithfully, throw themselves into small groups, and throw themselves into serving within the church, but there's a, a, a real ingrained calling and desire to be married, and it doesn't happen here, and so they feel like, okay, I need to 
I need to reorient myself. I need to put myself into a different pond where, where, the, where the possibilities are maybe better of me meeting up with somebody. And I think we need to be aware of that. Because I, I don't want to lose anybody for that reason. And I understand that there may be times where that is appropriate, where, where that is necessary. Um, but, but I think that's something that we need to be aware of. And then if we're not careful here with the married... They fall prey to the very thing that Paul warns against, and that's they become too distracted with their marriage. That their marriage, their family, takes greater priority than impacting God's kingdom. And all of the warnings and all of the, the reasons Paul says maybe you should not consider getting married really come true in that married couple's life. And they're so consumed with a temporary relationship and a temporary setup that their impact for the kingdom is minimal at best because they're so inward focused. And that's what Paul's concern was. And that's why he says, Whew, this, is, this is tough not to fall into this. It's really tough not to become so consumed with your married family and your kids. He says, I'd encourage you to stay right here because you have a greater possibility of impact. But he says, look, if, you, if you're in that category and you want to get married and you end up getting married, that's fine. It's not sinful. It's great. It's good. It's a, it's a gift from God. But he says, be weary and be, be aware of the reasons why I'm encouraging not to get married and make sure that they don't come true in your life. Okay? So, so these are the three groups of people in our church. And Paul has some things to say to all three of us this morning. Some thoughts on, on 1 Corinthians 7. I just want to give you some, some quick points here. Um, and I listed them for you in your notes. Some, some thoughts that come out of 1 Corinthians 7 when I just kind of read through it a few times and, and reflected on it. Before I get to the parts in your notes, really what kind of stands out to me first off is that marriage doesn't fix everything. In fact, what Paul says is that it complicates things. You see that? Like when you read through it, in no way does Paul advocate that, hey, everybody that's single, get married. That'll fix all of your problems. You won't be lonely anymore. You won't have uh, impure desires anymore. Some of the reasons that we talk about getting married... Right? He says, this doesn't fix it. In fact, he, he goes on to say, if you choose to get married, just know that you're complicating your life. For all the good that marriage brings, and again, Paul doesn't feel the need to describe those things because we know those things, right? It's kind of ingrained in us. We see the good of marriage. He says, what you've got to realize is it complicates things. It's almost as though marriage is a plan B for Paul. It's a get married if you have to, but if at all possible, don't. Why can he say that when he's talking about impacting? Because we would say that, man, two is better than one, and, and complimenting each other is great, and you're going to have a much more effect on the kingdom, and, and we need husbands and wives together. And yet we look in Ephesians 1, and it says that every individual Christian has been blessed with every spiritual blessing, whether you're married or single, right? A, a husband or wife isn't a spiritual blessing otherwise we couldn't say that every christian had that spiritual blessing it is an earthly blessing from god a lot of spiritual blessings may come out of that because you both have spiritual blessings but but paul says every individual has every spiritual blessing that we're equipped with everything necessary for life and godliness so so marriage doesn't fix everything it's by no means a necessity in the life of an individual in fact paul goes so far to say is that it complicates things 
it complicates your life to get married. All right, a couple of points here. First of all, from a physical standpoint, marriage is God's ordained institution. Marriage is God's ordained institution for the expression of human sexuality. Marriage is God's ordained institution for the expression of human sexuality. And this is important because because my hope is that if you don't know which group you're in, that you're able to discern which group you're in by the time we leave today. But what Paul but what Paul emphasizes here is that marriage does reduce temptation when, when, when a godly marriage happens. That there is a, a desire temptation that is reduced because of that relationship. And it's the only appropriate way for those desires to be fulfilled, right? So it's not stay single because you're freed up to do more. But when you have those desires, just go ahead and act on those desires with somebody without the commitment of marriage. Like, Paul doesn't allow that type of license. He says, if you can control yourself, you stay single. If you can't, then the only way to fulfill those desires appropriately is within marriage. Okay, so it's God's ordained institution for that. Secondly, from a physical standpoint, marriage is God's ordained institution. You put little ticks under there if you aren't able to write as fast. For the continuation of the human race. Marriage is God's ordained institution for the continuation of the human race. That's one of the joys and benefits of marriage is the, the, the ability to raise kids. And I, I recognize that, that some come into that and they're not able to have kids. And I, and I believe that's where the joys of adoption are, are made available. Because I believe everyone that enters into that, that marriage relationship misses out if they're not pursuing the opportunity to raise children. I think that's such a blessing in Scripture. It's a blessing communicated that even if there's physical limitations there that won't allow it, that we live in a situation where we can bring others into our family in a beautiful picture of the gospel in the same way we're adopted into God's family to reach out and adopt others into our families. Right? It's the, it's the God-ordained institution for the continuation of the human race, that God brings man and woman together to procreate, to continue creating human beings, human life. And then lastly, from a spiritual standpoint, marriage is God's ordained institution for modeling a picture of Christ and the church. It's God's ordained institution for modeling a picture of Christ and the church. Ephesians 5, 31 through 33 tells us that God gave us marriage. He created it to be an illustration for Christ in the church. He didn't just pick something that he happened to have created. He gave the marriage relationship to Adam and Eve, anticipating that one day in the New Testament he would refer back to that and everything would come alive and everything would come together and he would say, this is a picture of the relationship that Christ and the church have. And it's pictured between a husband and a wife. And those, those gender responsibilities within that marriage is why it's so important. Because it's a picture. It's meant to model the gospel. And so God has ordained the marriage relationship to be a gospel picture to creation. So the heavens declare the glory of God. 
marriage declares the glories of the gospel to God's creation. It's a picture. It's a, it's a model of Christ and the church. But singleness has a role to play as well in God's creation and the glory of God. Singleness, in your notes, is God's ordained gift to reveal the supreme value of Christ. Singleness is God's ordained gift to reveal the supreme value of Christ in light of all this world offers. Singleness is God's ordained gift to reveal the supreme value of Christ in light of all this world offers. Which means the church becomes the ordained vehicle of fellowship for those that do not enjoy the intimate relationship of a spouse. Right, so what we're saying is that there are people in our church that are called to, to model and proclaim two glories about Christ. One, the glorious relationship that Christ has with the church. Those that are married are meant to portray that. And then those that aren't are meant to portray that Christ is better than a marriage relationship ever could be on this earth. And so Christ gets glory from both situations. Two people coming together to say, this is what Christ and the church are supposed to look like. The single saying, this is what it looks like to value Christ over everything this world has to offer. Because he is eternal, and the relationship that I have with him is eternal. Everything here is temporary. And so lest we think that marriage becomes valuable, and we miss the mark that it's a picture of Christ in the church... God calls some to singleness to point us back to the fact that Christ is better than any man or woman could ever be in our life. Both groups of people have a job to do, and it's to put people's focus on the glory of Christ. Two, focusing on Christ in the church and the love that he has for the church and the church's submission to him. The other, that Christ is better than anything this world has to offer. Both marriage and singleness are gifts from God with different purposes. He tells us this in 1 Corinthians 7, 7. I wish that all were as myself, but each has his own gift from God, and one of one kind and one of another. Not everyone has the same gift. And what we should walk away from this passage realizing is that we shouldn't feel like everybody that's single is supposed to be married. Because Paul is saying some people are called not to be married. And we ought to be honed in in conversations that we're having with people that when we start to pick up on the fact that maybe this is somebody who's not supposed to be married, we should never make them feel inferior because they haven't moved towards that. Because for some, it would be inappropriate and wrong for them to pursue marriage because God has given them a gift of singleness and the ability to impact the world greatly. And we can list off missionary after missionary that left their home and went overseas without the attachment to a family and left an unbelievable legacy and brought people into the kingdom of God through their impact that may have never happened had they been tied down because of a family. And far be it from us to ever try to tie somebody down who is willing to explore and willing to sacrifice and willing to give up the gift of marriage, for the sake of the gift of singleness. We need to be mindful of that. 
What we also find here within the the 1 Corinthians 7 passage is that the sexual desire factors into knowing what your gift is. Understanding that and understanding the control level and, and, and where that fits determines marriage or not marriage. Paul says if you, if you can control the desires that would lead one to marriage, then don't get married. If it's not a struggle, if it's not of a point of accountability, if it's not something that you're just driven to, he says don't go down that road. Just stay clear of it and stay, stay single. But you're capable of staying single. I think it's important to note, too, that marriage doesn't satisfy unrighteous longings. Right? We can have impure desires before marriage and think, okay, marriage is going to clean this up, marriage is going to fix this, and these things are going to go away. Marriage does not satisfy sinful desires that were there before marriage. Marriage is the God-ordained way for desires to be fulfilled. But never do sinful longings get fulfilled within the marriage. But it's a factor in determining whether I'm called to singleness or whether I'm called to marriage. We see Satan attacks gender, and he uses our desires for sinful purposes. Paul goes on to say, because you might be sitting there and thinking, well, stink. Like, I got married, and sounds like singleness is, is rocking. He goes on to say, look, if you've already made the decision to be married, then you stay married. Like, don't in any way think, oh, for the sake of the calling to singleness, I'm going to leave my family and pursue this high calling of singleness. Look what he says in 1 Corinthians 7, 8, and 9. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it's good for them to remain single as I am. Wait, that's the wrong one. Uh, 1 Corinthians 7, 10. To the married, I give this charge, not I but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband. The husband should not divorce his wife. In verse 25. I think that in view of the present trust, it's good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Don't seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. So in no way is he trying to advocate singleness to the point that married people need to reconsider their status. He's saying, no, 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 no. If you're married, you're married. You're bound. Enjoy the gifts and, and the opportunities to proclaim the relationship of Christ in the church. Don't, don't separate from that. All right? So that's kind of some of the thoughts that, for me that come out of 1 Corinthians 7, the purpose of marriage, purpose of singleness. Well, let's kind of work through, specifically for our, our not-yet-marrieds and our singles, determining which one you fall into. So number one, determine your spiritual calling. If you're single here this morning, now marrieds, don't check out on me because we're coming back to you real quick. Okay, But for our singles, people that are not bound to a husband or wife, number one, determine your spiritual calling so you're trying to figure out am i this type of single or am i this type of single the one that's supposed to stay single or the one that will get married eventually determine your spiritual calling god has designed and gifted some for singleness and some for marriage we need to determine which one you fall into all right so how do you determine your spiritual calling first of all answering the question what do i desire to do with my life And this takes some time where you sit down and you kind of think through this. What do I desire to do with my life? What are my passions? What are my desires? What are my plans, my giftings, my longings? At the end of the day, what has God created within me to do? That's that's relevant for all of us. But, But for someone who's single right now and trying to determine what's life look like in the future... 
it necessitates you kind of stepping back and saying, what has God created within me to do? What kind of passions and desires and longings do I have? And how do those fit into his kingdom purposes? Okay? Thinking through, what has God given me a passion for? Because I know a lot of our singles in here, and I know they all share a different variety of passions. And those passions and desires can fit into God's kingdom purposes in a lot of different ways. But I believe God creates in us a longing and a desire and a passion for something in regards to his kingdom. I think he gives us those spiritual gifts when we get saved and the Holy Spirit's living inside of us. And he takes natural gifts and starts using them for spiritual purposes. But I believe he starts to create in us kind of a longing and desire to do something for the kingdom. For some of us, that means being a mom and being a wife. Some of us step back and say, I want to be a husband and I want to be a father and I want to do the things that are tied to marriage. For some of our ladies, that, that, that's, the, that's the only passions and desires that you have, and they're good and they're right and they're God-given to you. And in no way should you try to get rid of them or, or decrease them or think that they're, they're placed there to be a burden for you. But for others, they step back and, and, and begin to write out some things and think about some things that maybe aren't completely tied to being a husband and a father and being a wife and a mother. Which leads to my second question. Is God's leading in my life serve best with a compliment? Is God's leading in my life served best with a compliment? Compliment meaning a spouse, right? So when I started evaluating my passions and desires and explored the idea of doing them single, rejected every time, right? So I finally stepped back and said, I'm going to need a wife to do anything that I'm trying to do with my life, apparently. Right? So, so when I assessed my longings and passions and desires, it necessitated a compliment that, that I was going to have a greater ministry when God chose to bring a wife into my life. That, that the type of ministry that I wanted to do really necessitated a companion. Okay, so, so that was one, one way of me working through was I called a singleness because, you know, at the age that I was at, I was starting to wonder, Am I getting married or not? And, and this was some confirmation for me that God didn't give me un, un, desires that could not be satisfied from a ministry standpoint and then would withhold the wife from me. And so God kind of weaved all that together and brought a wife at the right time and brought ministry into my life at the right time. And then the third question, can I forego... The pleasures of intimacy, companionship of marriage, and the blessings of children without bitterness. Can I forgo the pleasures of intimacy, companionship of marriage, and blessings of children without bitterness? Now, now, too often times this has been used as a cheesy breakup line, right? Like, you're, you're in a relationship, you want out of the relationship, you don't want to hurt the other one's feelings, and so I'm going to pull the singleness card and get out of this, and you can't trump that because that's a calling that God has given me. And then lo and behold, not too long later, you find that, that you're, the person that broke up with you is, is dating again. You're like, what? You know? So, so you don't want to just throw this around flippantly. 
right? Like it's not a cheesy breakup line. But it's something that needs to be worked through because I believe that God does call people to a lifetime of singleness. I also believe that God calls individuals to a, a rest of their lifetime singleness, right? So they were married, they're divorced, or they've, they've, they've had a spouse die, and they decide to remain unmarried. I believe God calls some people to that. But God calls some that are divorced and have lost a spouse to get remarried, right? Like he says, he says if, you can't, if you can't stay unmarried, then go ahead and get married. But if you can, stay unmarried. Because there's, there's a high calling there that, that God has placed upon some people's lives to singleness. An implication from this, the gift of singleness is a special calling that should be honored and not rejected. Jesus is having a conversation about marriage with uh, some individuals. And he's talking about divorce and he's talking about how it's just not right. And, and he He's really elevating their understanding of commitment within the marriage. And and look what they respond with. The disciples said to him, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it's better not to marry. Because basically Jesus was saying, you don't get to opt out of a marriage just because you decide you don't want to be in it anymore. Because you're not in love with the person anymore. it's It's not okay to just opt out. And they kind of step back and they say, well... Man, that means that when you make that decision, it's for life. Maybe it's better to just not get married. And Jesus says, whoa, whoa, whoa. He says, not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this receive it. He says, not everybody can hear a message on singleness and say, all right, I'm going to be single for the rest of my life. But he says, for those that can receive it, receive it. Receive it as a gift. Don't try to minimize your desires. Examine your desires. And do your desires point you to marriage or do they point you to singleness? All right, the gift of marriage. Understanding these two gifts. Going back to our holiday theme, all right? We've got the marriage gift wrapped up. Singleness gift wrapped up. And here's what they mean. The gift of marriage is to display the glory of God by modeling the relationship of Christ in the church while channeling natural desires for godly purposes by raising a faithful generation that will also worship Him. That's a lot to write down. I am, I am sorry. I will post this if you want it. Because we can't slow down enough for you to write that. The gift of marriage is to display the glory of God by modeling the relationship of Christ in the church while channeling natural desires for godly purposes by raising a faithful generation that will also worship him. Right? So marriage is all about a husband and a wife picturing Christ in the church and they're procreating and raising up children that will worship him. That, that's what the gift of marriage is for. Okay? The gift of singleness is to display the glory of God by demonstrating the growth of his kingdom through regeneration and faith rather than procreation. Right. So someone who's called to singleness demonstrates I multiply to the ends of the earth just as much as a married couple does. But I do it spiritually through regeneration and faith as I disciple individuals for his kingdom. Okay, so, so I show that the, the kingdom of God doesn't grow naturally, it grows spiritually. 
display the glory of God by demonstrating the growth of his kingdom through regeneration and faith rather than procreation and by living a devoted, flexible life that reveals the eternal relationship with Christ outweighs all other human relationships. Okay? So the single person pictures that Christ is better than everything this world has to offer and says no to the, the temporary marital relationship for the sake of, of kingdom purposes, for the sake of flexibility within their life, to go anywhere and do anything at any time that Christ calls them to. Okay? All right, so that's the two gifts. Which one, do you, which one, which one belongs to you? Well, for some of us, we've already opened our gift, right? We're, we're, we're married, and we're not supposed to get out of that. Okay? Some of us opened ours before today. But for others, the ultimate question comes down to, which one do you long for more? When, when, you, when you think about displaying the glory of Christ, which one do you think you fit with better? Is it modeling the Christ relationship with the church? Or is it modeling the fact that Christ is better than anything this world has to offer? Which one do you long for? Because marriage only satisfies the will of God. It doesn't satisfy your loneliness. It doesn't satisfy your desires. It only satisfies the will of God. If God has placed it upon your life to be married, then marriage satisfies that. It satisfies that calling in your life. But it won't satisfy it if you've not been given that gift. We marry because it's his will. Now, now here's the other thing too. I don't think anybody when they're six or seven years old, when people are saying, well, what do you want to do when you grow up? What do you want to, I'm, I'm called a singleness. Like, I love mom and dad, but I'm never getting... Like, you don't probably feel that at the age of seven. It's probably more of a gradual calling. Okay, so, so what I mean by that is there may have been a time in your life where you dated and you pursued relationships and you felt like you were going to get married and you reach a point where you say, you know what? I don't have these desires. I don't have a, 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 a inward compulsion to pursue this. Maybe I'm in this group that Paul's talking about. I'm called to singleness. And, and, and I compare it with the desires that I have, and the desires that I have don't require a compliment. I can do everything that God's calling me to do individually, and maybe better because I'm an individual doing it. Which do you long for more? Okay? Determine your spiritual calling. Secondly, pursue gender maturity. This is regardless if you're called to singleness or marriage. Pursue gender maturity. A picture of masculine maturity. I, I challenge our guys all the time to be reading the qualifications for an elder and a deacon. Because that is what mature masculinity looks like. Elder and deacon qualifications are not to meant to be the super Christians within the church. It's meant to be what every godly man is within the church. And then from a giant pool, we pull elders and deacons from that. Okay, it's not the super Christians in your church that are elder and deacon qualified. It should be every individual young man within the church. And then we pull from that giant pool. So I constantly encourage our men to pursue biblical masculinity by examining the callings of a deacon and an elder. And to pursue those things diligently. To put away immaturity. Immaturity is seen best through the act of avoiding responsibility. All right, so, so you don't want to be the single guy who is, is spending money childishly. Who, who, who relishes the idea of being single and doesn't move towards maturity. 
You want to push aside the, the tendencies to be lazy and immature, to, to, to not embrace responsibility. And I don't want to be too specific in saying that if you live at home and if you, if you don't have a good job, that, that, that you're immature by any means. But there is something to say for getting a job and getting out of the house and pursuing maturity based on what our society would say is mature. And moving in that direction towards biblical masculinity. It requires understanding how to properly relate to the female gender. As, 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 our, as our single guys grow up, they need to understand how to relate to the female gender. It shows, how they, it shows in how they treat women that are closest to them. It shows, it's shown how, how they treat their, 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 their desires and, and how they don't act out of those desires sinfully. It's shown in how they demonstrate concern for the marriages of men around them. It involves understanding leadership is shown through service, sacrifice for others. As as godly men, we're called to lead, and we lead through service, serving others and sacrificing for others. Understanding the authority of Christ over the woman and not leading women to depend upon us, but on Christ. A mature man is, is, is ready to marry, and this is important for our ladies. Someone who has pursued gender Maturity from a masculine standpoint. A man who is ready to marry is one who has a handle on his sin. He possesses intimate relationship with God and has severed ties with sin. Specifically those that are tied to his gender. We don't have to get into to all these this morning. But there are specific things that are, that are common for us to think about when we think about a man and his struggles. And a man who is ready to marry is one who has severed ties with that. Doesn't mean that he's perfect. Doesn't mean that he's glorified, right? Because none of us will be until Jesus comes back. But it's an individual who has a handle on his sin and has severed ties with that. Has severed ties with laziness. Has severed ties with any abusive anger management issues. And has really reached a point where he could be considered a mature, masculine individual. Secondly, he knows what he wants to do. He possesses an understanding of God's calling and direction upon his life and is following it faithfully. doesn't mean that that's not going to shift and change some, but he's a guy that, that, that embraces direction and is moving in a direction that as a woman you can come and follow. Number three, has a plan for support. Possesses the ability to support a family. He manages his money well. These are important things for, for, our, for our young men that are single right now. And if, you're, you're, if you have a boyfriend or girlfriend, you're, you're still considered single right now, right? That, that you pursue gender maturity. And as a young man, it, it means getting a handle on your sin, understanding what you want to do with your life, because you're asking a woman to come and follow that direction, and having a plan for how to support her. A picture of mature femininity. Again, looking at the deacon qualifications. Understanding that that a mature female embraces those same type of qualifications. But she's also an individual that understands her need to learn from those that are older. In Titus chapter 2. So for our single girls, you have a responsibility to model this type of behavior. In Titus 2, 3, 
Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husband, that the word of God may not be reviled. You know what you're not going to have time to do when you're married with kids? Is hang out with other women that are married with kids probably. Right? Like, it is, it is difficult when, when anybody in our church tries to put together a hangout time for, for, for moms and wives because of all the schedule conflicts. So, really, this gets fulfilled best when our married wives and moms are teaching and training this type of stuff to women when they're single. Because it's a scheduling nightmare to try to make this happen after those things are taking place. So I would encourage our our single girls to embrace the responsibility to learn from those that are older, to learn how to love a husband when God gives you a husband, to learn how to love your children when God gives you children, to learn self-control and purity and kindness and submissiveness now before you're in those relationships, To, to grow up into this mature feminine understanding, to do so by leaning on the wisdom of those within our church. A mature woman who is ready to marry. So this is for our, for our guys, for those that are called to marriage. A mature woman is one who, who is handling her sin as well. Possesses an intimate relationship with God and is severed ties with her sin. Specifically those tied to her gender. And, and we see that there's a warning against um, uh, some of the, I forget the exact passage, but some of the widows that are prone to gossip, right? And, and that's, again, not to... <clears throat> not to, to label all, all females in this sense, but, but this is an issue that, that a lot of times women battle with. That they love conversation, and if they're not careful, that conversation starts to be for hurtful purposes. We know that part of the gender curse is on manipulation, that they, that they want to control their husbands. They don't do it through physical force. They do it through manipulation. So, so a woman who is ready to marry is one that has severed ties with that type of woman, with that type of old woman. Her, her old self, she severed ties with that sin, and she knows that she wants to give up her rights. Secondly, knows she wants to give up her rights. She possesses a willingness to submit to the calling and direction of a man that is being led by God. What's difficult for a marriage is when both come in with their own plans for what they want to do with their life. Because it's hard to go in two different directions. Right? You've got a man that's pursuing a career here. You've got a woman that wants to pursue a career here. You can't go in two different directions. And I would, I would believe that the way that the gender responsibilities are laid out in Scripture, that the woman comes under that authority, comes under that leadership, and says, you know what? My plans and my desire, I'm giving this up because I'm giving up the life of singleness, and I am submitting myself to the direction that you feel led for our family. And I'm okay with that because when I examine what I want to do with my life, I want to be a wife, and I want to be a mom. And whatever else I can fit into that for ministry purposes within my church, so be it. Whatever jobs I can get to supplement and help our income and, and, and help our family, I'm all there for it. But ultimately, I'm willing to give up for the sake of your leadership. Number three is found security in her identity. Possesses a true, a true grasp of godly beauty and reflects it faithfully. This is important for our guys, too, because I know physical attraction becomes such an important factor in relationships that we pursue. 
And we know mentally what Scripture says about that. Proverbs 31, 30. Charm is deceitful, beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. 1 Timothy Chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. Likewise also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. And then 1 Peter 3, 1 through 4. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see their respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or of the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. And, and, I, and I apologize on behalf of the male population that, that the males breed this type of response from women, right? That women feel like they have to adorn themselves in this way to get the attention when they're single of other singles. That, that I have to dress a certain way, I have to adorn my certain way because, because the single guys are only going to want me if I look a certain way. And that is completely con- contrary to what Scripture would call a godly woman is and the godly woman that's supposed to be pursued. And our young men need to embrace women who have, who have found victory in their identity, that their identity is not tied to physical appearance, and it's tied to the good works and the work that Christ has done in them. Number three, desire godly completeness. This is what we're going to kind of wrap up with. Desire godly completeness. So you're working through my call to singleness and my call to marriage. You're pursuing gender maturity for our singles. Being a godly man, being a godly woman, so that if and when the time comes to be married, you're the type of person that can be married. And then when you've reached that status where you're, again, not perfect, but you're you're at a at a stable point in life where your 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 spiritual maturity is there. Your direction in life is there. You've kind of worked out what you want to do. That you desire godly completeness as you look for a spouse. First of all, you guard against unhealthy expectations. This is the danger the older you get and the longer you stay single, is that the expectations increase. You've waited so long and you start to have a a, an unrealistic list of expectations for who you're going to marry. It's, I've waited this long for this individual. The, the wait had better be worth it kind of thing, right? Um, and, and I want to share with you a little bit of insight from, from my relationship with Lauren. So, so I was 27, but I felt like I was old as Abraham, that, that, that my years of childbearing were almost over, and, and pretty much I was not going to get married, right? And so... I knew that wasn't reality, but that's the kind of the depths that I had fallen to at the time. And um, God brought Lauren into my life. And, you know, I had dated all through college and, and even dated some girls outside of college. And as I matured in that, really it got to the point where every relationship I was in was with the intent of marriage. You know, it was, am I going to marry you or not? It wasn't just flippantly dating. 
there were um, there was one girl that, that I was pursuing that, that I was um, excited about and attracted to and felt like this might be the one. And we had a discussion a couple of months into it, and she said, I do not ever want to be a youth pastor's wife. And I said, all right, well, I think we probably need to break up. And she was like, what, what? Yeah, well, I'm called to be a youth pastor, so you're, you're probably not who, you're not going to complete what, what God needs to be completed in my life. And so that situation broke up. They did another girl, and things were going great. And, and then I, what I began to realize is that she wanted to be the youth pastor. And so I was like, well, I, I don't need to marry myself, so um, you'll probably be better with someone else. And so, you know, we broke up, and um, God brought Lauren into my life, and immediately um, I, I was drawn to her. Um, I mean, it took just a couple of weeks of, of not even really talking to her, but just observing her at the summer camp that we were working at to where God really just began to, to draw my heart towards her. And I didn't, um, I didn't marry Lauren, and this will sound like I'm in the doghouse for, for saying this, but I think Lauren understands um, what I mean by this. I, I didn't marry Lauren because I believe she was the most beautiful or the most godly individual that I ever met. Right when I when you're at the point of 27, you're thinking, I've waited I've waited a long time. This better be the most godly and the most beautiful woman that I've ever met that God brings into my life. Now, I find my wife extremely attractive. She's extremely beautiful and extremely godly. But but I have communicated to Lauren, I didn't marry you because I found you to be the most beautiful woman that I've ever met or the most godly woman that I've ever met. It's not fair to her because if my marriage is founded upon her physical attraction or her spiritual attraction, if there's any failure on her part or any fall on her part, right, her physical beauty changes, or she falls into some level of sin, her attractiveness is gone then for me, if if that's what it was founded upon. And, And that was not the case. Again, beautiful to me, godly to me. It wasn't based on interest that we have. If you know Lauren and I well enough to know, we don't share a lot of the same interests, right? She's a lot more like Adam McLeod than she is with me. The two of them like everything the same. They eat the same things. They. I didn't want to marry a buddy. I didn't need a hunting partner. I didn't need a fishing partner. And it never bothered me that Lauren didn't share the same interests as me. All right? There's some people that have that. They're, they're married to somebody and they're best friends because they do all the same things together. Lauren and I have had to learn to appreciate each other's interests, right? She does a great job of watching college football with me, and I think she's at a level where she enjoys it. I try to enjoy Hallmark Christmas movies with her. Um, I'm still maturing in that process, right? But I didn't want to, I didn't want to marry, I didn't need to marry a buddy at that point. What, what really it boiled down to, and I've been asked the question before, you know, why did you marry Lauren? And it wasn't based on her beauty. It wasn't based on her, on her godliness. It wasn't based on us sharing the same interest. And there was a point in time where the, the honeymoon period wore off for us, where you, know, you get into that relationship and everything's perfect, and this is the greatest person I've ever met, and then, oh, they're not, they're not perfect, and uh, they've got some flaws. And I remember that point. There was, there was one point when I was driving back from Valdosta, and we fought or argued or were frustrated with each other, almost the entire ride back on the phone. And I couldn't tell you to this day what, what the issue was. 
But there was, a, there was a couple of weeks there before I proposed that I really had to decide, am I walking away from this? Am I going to pull out like I've done previously, now that I've kind of been exposed to some of her flaws, am I going to pull out of this? And it, and it really boiled down to that, that I believe that Lauren possessed everything. She, everything that's good about Lauren is what's bad about me. Like she possesses all of the, the good traits that I don't possess. And it really boiled down to realizing she is the perfect complement to me. Not because she shares the same interests as me. Not because she's, the, she's, she's the, the supreme person that God could ever bring to me. And again, I, I find my wife completely attractive. and be, I don't want you to, to, to think that I settled in, in any way. Right? Like, like, unbelievably blessed by Lauren. But it really boiled down to me marrying her because I believe she possessed everything good that's bad about me. And it goes back to that picture that I've been trying to describe to you, that compliment. That, that, that it was not good for me to be alone. And God had brought someone into my life that, that made me a better person. And what protects me from ever stepping away from that, never stepping out of that marriage and never pursuing something else is that nobody else can complete me now the way that she does because I'm not the same individual that I was, right? Because affairs start when you start to think as a man, well, if I'd met this woman before I met my wife, I probably I might would have chose her. And you start to justify it. I remember I've talked with individuals that have, that have gone down this road. I'd met this person before I met my wife, I would have married her. And so you start to justify it and think, well, now it's wrong for me to stay in my marriage because I love this other woman. I'm not the single individual anymore. I'm, I'm a married man with children. And, and for me to step away from Lauren is to step away from everything in my life. It's to step away from being a pastor, from being a principal, from being the father of my children. And so when, when, when other women are in my life, there's not a draw or an attraction to that. Because none of that meshes with what I am now. You know, Tyson highlighted the fact when two become one, the, the line now is blurred as to how to separate that again, right? Like, I, like I'm one person now with a wife, and I can't put myself towards another woman because I'm not a single individual anymore. I can't unite with someone else. I've united with her. And it's such a good gift that God has given me because he has, he has taken everything that's bad about me, like I said, and, and fixed it with Lauren, so the questions that we ask in, in, in this is, will your relationship with Christ be magnified by a union with this person? Will their relationship be magnified by a union with you? And I believe that, that that's been the case for both Lauren and I, that my relationship with Christ is better because of her. And I, and I hope and believe that her relationship with Christ is better because I'm in her life. Do they compliment you well? Do they worship the same God as you and, and not just from an idol standpoint, but do they have the same theology as you? Do they believe the same God that you believe in? Do they strengthen your weaknesses? I would encourage you to include the wisdom of authorities in your life, parents and church leaders and married couples. When you're interested in someone, getting the wisdom of those around you as to whether they believe them to be a good compliment for you. All right, then these last couple points and we're done. For those that are single, as they're working through this mindset of, am I called to singleness or marriage? To exploit your singleness for as long as you possess that gift. For our singles in here, my desire is that you exploit your singleness for as long as you have that gift. 
Okay, Paul says, your ability to impact the kingdom is greater because of your singleness, because you're not tied down to some of these restraints, to some of these responsibilities. So the call is to exploit your singleness for as long as you possess the gift. Don't be paralyzed by the desire to be married. You need to reach a level of contentment in your singleness, which really is a contentment in Christ, because it's a learned discipline that you'll need for the rest of your life. 1 Timothy 6 talks about godliness and contentment working together. Philippians 4, 10 through 13 talks about reaching a state where you're content, whether you're, whether you're flourishing or whether you're floundering. That there's a level of contentment with your life because you're going to need that level of contentment once you're married. Married doesn't produce contentment. You'll find discontentment in your marriage. And so I would encourage you to fight for contentment now in your singleness so that it carries over into your marriage. And then to remember the benefits of singleness. It's not freedom to do what you want, but a chance to do what Christ wants. Three benefits of singleness. Number one, undivided devotion to Christ. There's an increased availability for Christ's work, according to Paul here in 1 Corinthians 7. Luke 14, 20, there's an individual who tells Christ he can't follow him because he is married. He can't place the demands of being a disciple upon his life because he is married. Paul says the worries of life complicate things when you get married. The worries of life. Singles don't struggle in the same way that I do when, when, when health insurance changes, right? When health insurance changes, I have to figure out what effects that has on my wife and my kids. When my job pay changes, it doesn't just affect me as an individual, it affects my entire family. The worries of life greatly increase in marriage. There's complication when you have two sinners becoming one. When you take two sinners and they become one and they produce more sinners, it produces a sinful environment in, at the home. That Paul says, you are setting yourself up for a lot of trials and difficulties. Now, again, there's a lot of greatness in marriage. Paul doesn't need to highlight it because we all understand the goodness of marriage. He's reminding us of the difficulties of marriage. My hope is that our singles are defined, that their life is defined by a, a, a devotion to Christ to where they will have to give up things when they get married. Right? That's the idea here is that if you're single, you can devote yourself to more things. So if you're single here this morning, you need to examine your life and, and, and determine what am I going to have to give up when I get married? And what I don't mean is fishing trips and hunting trips and video games. Like, Things that are devoted to Christ. How will your ministry have to minimize because you now have to turn your attention to a spouse and to children? And if there's nothing there, then you're not exploiting your singleness like you need to be. It can be real easy to stay paralyzed and to, to not move forward and say, okay, I'm going to have to just wait and wait and wait for a spouse. But the implication from Paul is you should be so busy with the work of Christ that when you do get married, you have to start saying no to a lot of things. My life as a youth pastor changed at Mount Gilead when I got married. For a whole year, I was single. And when I got married, I had to start saying no to a lot of things that I was doing in ministry because now I had responsibilities at home. My challenge to our singles, what will you have to give up when you get married? 
A single individual devoted to the work of Christ will necessarily find themselves placed around godly potential spouses. You want to find a a spouse that is devoted to the work of Christ? Then be devoted to the work of Christ and look who you're doing it with. You put yourself on the front line and you will necessarily find others there with you that are worth marrying. Number two, unattached availability to die. That sounds intense. Benefit of being single is that you're available to die for Christ. Increased availability for intense ministry that may jeopardize your life. Remember, we, we've talked through the second coming, and, and you know, I personally believe that the great apostasy and, the, and everything's coming before Jesus comes back, which means things are going to get intense, and that's what Paul says. Because of how intense things are, it might be better not to get married so you don't have to worry about a wife and a kid and how to protect them. One commentator said, a man who is a hero by himself becomes a coward when he thinks of his widowed wife and his orphaned children. A man can be a hero when he's single, but as soon as he starts to think about a wife and a child that's left without a husband and a daddy, it limits what they're able to do. I remember at Chick-fil-A, Adam and Tyson and I talking about going overseas to plant a church. We got all excited, we're discussing, and then we said, oh, Craig, what are we going to do about our wife and our kids? Like, are we able to take care of them in a foreign environment right now? And it it causes us to really have to step back and say, can we do this? Can we do this with wife and children? A man can be a hero but become a coward. Number three, undistracted ministry to others. An increased availability to multiply through the gospel. A single person possesses the ability to say yes. They embrace the ability to be spontaneous. They can say yes to big commitments. That's one of the joys of being single, right? You find out something and you can say yes to it because you don't have to check with anybody, right? Like, I don't have, like, when I get asked to do something, it's every time, it's I'll get back to you. Let me, let me see what Lauren, let me see what our schedule looks like. Let me see what Lauren's doing. Let me see if I can work that out. When you're single, hey, you want to go do this? Yeah. Yeah, I don't have anything else to do. Do I want to go home by myself? No, I want to go do this. That's one of the joys of being single that you do give up when you get married. Now, it's great for social things, but it's all the more important for spiritual things to be able to say yes to commitments that one day you won't be able to say yes to because of ties to family. Application. What's my role to solve the single dilemma? This is where we all get involved in this. For our single men, you need to lead and initiate, realizing your level of responsibility. Our men need to embrace the responsibility to lead and initiate. Because it's not just in this church, it's in churches all around the the United States, where single women sit and wait for men to initiate relationships, right? They want to be married, they want to be pursued, and they sit and wait and wait and wait. If we've got single men in our church that want to be married, you need to embrace the responsibility to lead and initiate and become the godly man that is worth marrying and become the godly man that can marry. That's your responsibility in pursuing gender maturity. Secondly, single women, guard against making marriage an idol. Don't be paralyzed by it and don't feel like you're not complete because of it. Because Paul would say you're in a better situation now than you will be when you're married in context of the kingdom. Make sure you are doing things now that you'll have to say no to when you're married. 
Because if you don't have those things in your life, you're not using your singleness for the glory of God right now. There has to be things that you say no to when you're married or you've wasted single years. And for our married couples, and this is huge, we need to encourage our singles by providing the community that they desperately need. Because what we're saying is, is that it's not good for man to be alone. It's not good for woman to be alone. And it doesn't mean that they have to be married to not be alone. That as married couples, we can't become so inward focused that we leave out the singles of our church. This is a form of suffering for a lot of our singles because they feel called to marriage. And it's a delayed hope right now. It's a delayed desire right now. Some of you didn't go through that season in life, but some of us did, and we know what it was like to be single and desire marriage and it have to wait and have to wait and have to wait. And as a church family, we need to respond to that. We need to recognize that. We need to be in tune to that. And we need to provide the community that our singles need as they wait. It's an opportunity for them to grow bitter, and we want to fight that bitterness with them. Fight the bitterness with them by being a married couple that includes singles in the things that you're doing. So they find the community and the fellowship that they need so they don't feel alone. Use the gift that is given to you right now for your joy and his glory. Whether you're called to singleness for life, whether you're not yet married but want to be, or whether you're married, use the gift that you have right now for your joy. And you can find joy as a not yet married by by flourishing in the call that God has upon your life to do things that you won't be able to do when you're married. But to use the gift for your joy and for his glory. And we need all three of these as a church if we're going to accomplish the things that God has for us. All three of these have a role to play. All three are necessary for our circle of impact. Our goals in the back. For us to be that type of church, we need singles, we need those that are pursuing marriage, and we need godly couples that can help us read our full potential. Let's pray. God, I know that, that we've, we've discussed a lot today. Father, I know there's a lot to work through. And Father, I know that there are a lot that are struggling right now with where they're at in life. God, I pray that you would encourage them this morning through Paul's word. That they would, they would understand their single years are, are a time in life that they can never get back. God, I pray that they would embrace them wholeheartedly right now, Father. I pray that our singles would, would not be despised and rejected and, and viewed at as unreliable and you can't give them things to do because they're not married yet. Father, help us to realize and see that that Paul says it's the singles that have the greatest potential for impact. And Father, I pray that our singles would be on the front lines, devoted to the work of Christ, doing so many things for your kingdom that they'll have to back off of it when they get married. God, I pray that through that devotion and effort for those that are called to marriage, that in the midst of, of pursuing you and your work, that you will unite them with individuals that will complement what you're calling them to be. Father, we've heard stories this morning from unlikely situations where you not united husband and wife. Father, I pray that you would encourage those that continue to wait, that have already assessed their desires and know they want to be married. God, give them patience. Help them to fight bitterness. 
God, help them to find joy in modeling the truth that Christ is better than any temporary relationship. God, I pray that you would remind them that the the greatest setting in history, eternity, will not include this temporary relationship. God, give them joy in modeling that, that truth that Christ is better. God, for our married couples, I pray that they would embrace their responsibility to encourage, to encourage those that are single in our church. Teach them what it means to be a godly husband and a godly father and a godly wife and a godly mother. They would seize those opportunities now before calendars and schedules are complicated. God, that they would embrace their role in the lives of our singles. And God, I do pray that that you would make provision according to your timing and will. Father, we know that, that you desire more married couples within our church to grow your kingdom. Father, I pray that you would call some out of our church to be single. Knowing that when we send people overseas to plant a church where Christ has not been named, there will be individuals who are far ready to go because of their lack of attachment here. We're going to need that as well. Encourage them, Father, with that truth. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church Podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.sovhope.org. Again, that's www.sovhope.org.